Hello, and welcome to another message from Aldinga Bay Baptist Church. If you'd like to find out more about us or what we believe, please visit aldingabaybaptist.org.au. Hmm. Might have begun to ask. <laughs> okay. Um, here we are a, a week after Easter. And uh, Easter, of course, is the most sacred of celebrations for us as Christians, isn't it? And uh, I really loved last weekend. I enjoyed the Good Friday service uh, as a time of reflection. Uh, Saturday as a time just to quietly reflect upon my Lord in the tomb. And the two services on Sunday, um, down the beach at 6 o'clock in the morning, just a pile of silhouettes, not able to make people's faces out initially. Then after the prayer, the sun was coming up and uh, I was able to see the other people clearly. And uh, it's kind of a picture of the risen Lord warming us, animating us, giving us hope. You know, Christianity is founded upon the resurrection, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I wanted to talk about that. We talked about it last week a lot. We're going to talk about it today, and we're probably going to talk about it next week because it's the central key fact central thing, the, the linchpin, if you like, for everything that we believe is the resurrection. And the resurrection wasn't a spiritual resurrection. It wasn't that Jesus' spirit went back up into heaven. It wasn't a metaphorical resurrection. It wasn't that the disciples looked back on Jesus' life and thought, he's a good chap. Let's go and do good deeds to other people. We've got this hope because Jesus was good. Jesus' resurrection was a physical resurrection. He physically rose from the dead and met with his disciples. They touched him. Jesus met on the beach with his disciples in another time and cooked breakfast for them. What an astounding claim we have as Christians in the resurrection, the physical resurrection. And as Jesus rose from the dead, we also will rise. Amen. I just want to look at 1 Corinthians to hear what Paul says about it. At 1 Corinthians 15, it's coming halfway through an argument, but it's worthwhile uh, just reading out. Uh, verse 14 of 1 Corinthians 15 says this, And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. If Christ did not raise, was not raised from the dead, Pack it up. Let's just pack it up and go home, get some gardening done, watch some football. Because our faith rests upon his resurrection. Because he came to defeat sin and death. And if he's still in the grave and it didn't work, our hope is in his resurrection. Verse 15, we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true, that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. Verse 17, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Your faith is futile. Death is going to win the victory in the day. You're going to die. You're going to rot in the ground. That's it. But the hope we have is magnificent that Jesus rose again. Peter, in his first letter, the first epistle of Peter, chapter 1, after his introductory comments, 
in verse 3, he says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. His living hope. In the King James, it says lively hope. A lively hope. This hope that animates us. You imagine what it was like for Peter. Peter saw the resurrected Lord, spent time with him. The rest of life has completely different meaning because Jesus rose from the dead. It's a lively hope. It's not like a, a winning the lottery hope. You hope to win the lottery. It, it's a hope which is founded on the resurrection. <clears throat> Why are we meeting here today? We're meeting here today because it's Sunday. And Christians for 2,000 years have met on Sunday because it's the day of the resurrection. This is the day we celebrate Christ raising from the dead every Sunday. Every Sunday is a small Easter. Okay. How about we just pray and commit uh, what we're going to be talking about to the Lord. Father, we just reflect upon that. Um, the glory of your Son and the glory of Jesus defeating death and rising again. Father, our hope rests on that. Father, I pray today that you will encourage your people, that they'll look to you with renewed hope in Jesus' name. Amen. Today what we're going to be doing, we're going to follow uh, Thomas's journey to faith in the risen Lord. And then the second half of what I want to say today is we're going to ponder Jesus' words in verse 29 where he says, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Blessed are those who have not seen the resurrected Lord and yet have believed. In some ways, Jesus' words looks through the ages to Udinga Bay Baptist this morning. Blessed is Nigel if I can believe without having to see. Blessed are you guys if you can believe without needing that evidence. And so what I want to do in the second half of the preach today is I want to just consider this idea of belief and, and where does it come from and how does it get established in our heart? The work of the Spirit, the work of God's Word. So we're going to have a look at that together. What do we know about the Apostle Thomas? We don't know much about him. If, if I was going to build a profile of Peter or Paul or John, we'd have a, a lot of information that we could talk about. Um, but Thomas is a bit of an obscure apostle. We don't know a lot about him. We see him in uh, John 11, the Lazarus account. Um, Jesus has gone away from Bethany and Jerusalem. And the reason he's gone away is because he's under a lot of fire because of his claim to be the Son of God. It's not Jesus' time yet. He goes away to the other side of the Jordan where John began his ministry. Why he's there, the whole Lazarus account unfolds. And Lazarus dies, and Jesus says, let us go to him. And Thomas puts up his hand and says, let us go also, that we may die with him. Interesting words from someone who we've dubbed Doubting Thomas, someone who is prepared to follow their Lord into a very hard place. Now, on balance, um, Thomas also fled in the Garden of Gethsemane. Maybe words are cheap, but at least it shows his heart. He loved Jesus. Life probably wasn't worth living if Jesus wasn't around for him. 
The next time that we see Thomas is three chapters later in John chapter 14, and it's the Last Supper. Picture Jesus sitting around with his disciples. And Jesus is saying, I'm going away, and you'll know the way to get there. Thomas puts up his hand. Lord, we don't know where you're going, and we don't know the way. I wonder whether there's a note of anxiety in his voice. He loves his Lord. He loves Jesus. And here's Jesus speaking in a kind of metaphor. Hang on a minute. Where where are you going? How do I get there? I think it shows something of uh, Thomas's love for Jesus and maybe the fact that he's quite a concrete man and, you know, needs a GPS, you know, sat-nav or something to be able to get there. I wanted to, um, the scripture that Brian read out for us today, I wanted to get Brian to do it because he's no longer sitting at chairs and I thought it'd be good to get him involved in the service. Thanks, Brian. Um, I, I, th- I thought it'd be good to actually go through the scripture and just try to get a feel for it and try to sort of step into Thomas's experience of coming to faith. So I just want to do that for a little while. Easter Sunday, the disciples are locked in a room for fear of the Jews. Russell, what's the matter, mate? <laughs> Lost one. And for fear of the Jews, he's, they've locked themselves away. They're not expecting the resurrection. They're fearful. They're worried they're going to get rounded up and meet the same fate that Jesus did. He made an example of. So they're hiding. And Jesus meets with them. Peace be with you. They've locked the doors and Jesus is physically there in the room with them. Look at my wounds. And it says they were glad when they saw the Lord. And Andrew brought that out last week. They were glad when they saw that it was the Lord. Thomas is absent. Thomas is not there with them. Why? We don't know. The scripture doesn't tell us why he stayed away. We might guess that he just needed to get alone. Maybe being associated with the disciples reminded him of his cowardice in flame. Maybe he was traumatised and just needed to get by himself. The disciples come to Thomas. We've seen the Lord. Can you imagine any greater contrast? Here we have the body of disciples filled with hope, filled with love, filled with joy and, and expectation. And here we have Thomas, sorrowful, traumatised by what he had seen. He refused to believe the apostles' testimony. Why? A couple of things. Generally, dead people don't come back to life. It's a matter of science. I I think that if any of the other apostles were missing, they probably would have said the same thing. I think if I was there, I would have been doubting. Because what happened to Jesus on Good Friday was horrific. And in Thomas's mind, evil had won the day. Can you imagine following Jesus and, and seeing him in his majesty and seeing him calm the storm with the word and then seeing him given over to evil men like a ping pong ball between Pilate and Herod, dressed in a purple robe and spat upon and mocked 
I think Thomas was traumatised by that. Evil had won and he could not reconcile what these guys were saying with what his experience had seen. And then there's eight days of torment. If you follow football, you'll be familiar with the phrase, a week is a long time in football. So if your team loses, if you happen to be a poor power supporter, maybe, and a week seems a long time before you get a chance to make amends, yeah? Imagine how long a week was for Thomas. It would have been lovely if Jesus appeared again later on in the afternoon, on Easter Sunday. And so Thomas was in this trial of faith and trying to understand, trying to reconcile with what his disciples were saying. And he woke up Monday, he woke up Tuesday, still no Lord, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Can you imagine the trial that he was going through? A schism between him and the other disciples, wanting to believe. And then Jesus appears eight days later. And he addresses Thomas directly in verse 27. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Powerful words. Thomas bows the knee and utters the declaration, my Lord and my God. One of the commentaries I read on this talks about this declaration bookending John. So it begins with, uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, a declaration of Jesus' deity. And in the closing passages of John, we have Thomas, a mortal sinner, declaring, My Lord and my God, kind of bookending the revelation in the book of John. I looked up uh, Lord and God in the Greek and uh, to try to get some idea of the nuances of those words. Um, and the word Lord had a lot of different applications. Um, it meant supreme in authority. I like that. Thomas bows and knee. You, Lord, are supreme in authority. There's no authority greater than you. No, no parliament on this earth. No king on this earth. You have defeated death. Controller. You're the one who controls all things. It even had the idea of Mr. Mr. Jesus, kind of a, a sign of respect. Master, sir. And then there's the word God, which means the supreme divinity. Against all the other gods of this world, you, Jesus, are supreme. You are above all things. This is his declaration. Magnificent. Doubting Thomas had faith in the risen Lord. He'd seen the risen Lord. How much did he believe? Fairly reliable tradition has it that Thomas went to India, went east, and preached the gospel there and died at the point of four spears. All the apostles were martyred except for John and Judas. They all died because of their eyewitness testimony that they had seen the resurrected Lord. It's very powerful. I wanted to look at verse 29, which I think is a really key verse for us to think on today. 
And we've got to stay with that really for the rest of the time. Verse 29, Jesus said to him, said to Thomas, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed are you, blessed are I, when we can believe without having to have that physical sign of Jesus being there. Jesus wasn't saying the disciples weren't blessed. <laughs> you imagine being there Easter Sunday. You imagine beholding the risen Lord. They were very blessed. But Jesus is, as I said before, looking down the centuries, even to you and I here today, that we're blessed if we have faith generated in our hearts, if we're trusting our Lord, if we're hearing from his word, if his word is a light to our path, if we're having sweet fellowship with our Lord and Saviour. Others think it's an amazing thing that faith has come to us. Look around you. I mean, look at all these people here. We all come from different backgrounds, socioeconomic, whatever, age groups. We've got young, we've got old. A guy that lived 2,000 years ago. We have come here today in his name. It's beautiful. I want us to bask in the second half of what I want to say today in his faith that he has put in us. Faith is not something that we generate. It doesn't start with us. It begins with God. It's his gift to us when the veil is removed and we come to believe in the resurrected Lord. So that's what I want to do uh, for the, the second half, two pages, second half. Here we go. Um, there's a quote from Keith Green. He says, you know, I can't explain to you really how he does it, but he proved himself to me in such a holy way such a complete way that I die for that faith and I die for that belief. Is that true for you? That he's come to you and he's proved himself to you in such a holy way, in such a complete way? It is for me. I love hearing our testimonies. I think that when we have our, our baptism services and people come up here and testify, that's love it. Living testimony. People who have met the risen Lord. And they get out here and they're crying and, and they're shaking because it's something that's really scary. And everyone in the audience is giving him kudos. This is amazing that you're there. And it encourages my faith because the question is asked, what on earth got you to get up this morning and do something which is so scary? I'll tell you what it is. They've had an experience with the risen Lord and it's changed them and they're prepared to face their fears. I think that's it. So today, as I was reflecting on um, the blessedness of belief, I was thinking about some people's testimonies and that I've heard, books I've read and so on. And I wanted to share uh, three testimonies with you to encourage your hearts about how God works through his word and through his spirit. A scripture in Matthew 7, Matthew 7, 7, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. This is true. 
Jesus' words. But when we ask, when we genuinely are seeking, we will find. When we knock, that door will be opened to us. And I was thinking of the, the testimony of Lee Strobel. Has anyone heard Lee Strobel's testimony? Not many. Oh, that's good. <laughs> it's a really cool testimony. Lee Strobel worked for the Chicago Tribune, a newspaper over in America. And he was a, a tough nut. He abused alcohol. His daughter was scared of him. He used to go and hide under a table when he would come home from work. And he crushed people as he climbed the corporate ladder. Lee Strobel's wife became a Christian. And Lee set out to disprove Christianity as a reporter. He knew his stuff. And he thought, I'm going to rescue my wife from Christianity. So he looked into it. He looked into the historical Jesus. He looked into the reliability of Scripture. He looked into the Old Testament Hebrew Scriptures and the prophetic he looked into evidences for the resurrection. And this hard nut who set out to destroy his wife's faith bowed the knee and accepted Christ as Lord and Saviour. And his life began to be transformed. I'm not saying overnight. God works in us and God began to work in his life and transformed his family life. And, and he does... Blessed is Lee Strobel because of his belief that God had planted in him. Those who seek, find. Romans, uh, Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. God is able to use his word to ignite faith in people's hearts. So true. There's a guy by the name of uh, Joe Hellerman who's an apologist, a Christian apologist, uh, defends the Bible and so forth. He started off in his uni days as a seeker and he tried all the different Eastern religions and he wasn't satisfied with what he heard. And he hadn't tried Christianity because it wasn't cool. I'm try Christianity, I'm not going to look into Jesus. One day on campus, um, some Christian friends gave him a Bible and said, just read it with an open mind. And he went down to the beach, he lived near there, um, there was some playground equipment, he put his surfboard up against the monkey bars and he started reading the book of Matthew. And his testimony is that he wasn't half or three quarters of the way through and he knew it was the truth. Isn't that beautiful? Don't do something to your heart. God is able to use his word. He didn't expect to find it. But God brought it alive to him. Jesus, in a sense, jumped out of the pages. Let me introduce myself. Now, he became a Christian apologist. He, he became someone who uh, understood scripture, who was able to defend scripture and the integrity of Scripture. But the first thing that happened was that the Holy Spirit witnessed to him that this was the truth. Magnificent. Hebrews 4.12 says this, For the word of God is living and active, 
sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intents intention, sorry, of the heart. Living and active. This is not a dead book. This is God's living word. Andrew would say it's a word from the outside. God speaking to us. Lighting our way. Sergei Kordakov uh, was a guy who lived in communist Russia um, behind the Iron Curtain, the days of the USSR. And if you know anything about communism, you know that communism is opposed to religion of all sorts particularly Christianity. Sergi was on a special task force in the police force and his role in his task force was to wipe out Christianity. And him and his other tough young guys would meet at headquarters, they'd drink vodka to excess, and then they would go into Christian prayer meetings, break in with baseball bats and smash these people up, splatter the blood, the, their blood all over the wall confiscate their literature. He wrote a book called Forgive Me, Natasha. One of the women that he'd smashed up time and time again and he kept on forgiving. Mm. Take a deep breath, Nigel. One day he was in a cellar with a friend of his and it was cold, and he was feeding scripture into the fire, yeah, to keep warm, handwritten scripture from memory. Ooh. And he said to his mate, go and get some vodka. They're going to start drinking. And as he's feeding this stuff in, it caught his eye. And it was Luke 11, the Lord's Prayer. And it undid him. All the years, 20 plus years of communist indoctrination undone by God's Word. And his worldview imploded or exploded, depending on what. Like in a movie, slowly, it slowly exploded. He put some of the literature in his pocket and went back to his dorm that night and read, and the words of Jesus haunted him, unnerved him, ate away the foundation of his life, and he became a Christian. Isn't that magnificent? All the, all the mess of communism, all the indoctrination, and God was able to speak through his word to Sergi. He uh, escaped to America and was probably killed there by Russian operatives who weren't happy with his testimony. It's uncertain how he died. Not a good ending? No. Jesus rose from the dead. It's okay. It's okay to die for our faith. Our testimonies are valuable. Your testimony about how God brought you to himself is valuable. God draws us different ways by his spirit. I really want to encourage you guys to share your testimonies. I love the um, account in chapter 4 of John 
Stand if you want to. It's a beautiful, beautiful scripture. The woman of the well, the woman of Samaria. The Jews hated the Samaritans, and the Samaritans hated this woman. She, she was the lowest of the low. Jesus meets her at the well. If you like, Jesus meets her at her point of thirst. It's kind of symbolically what the world's about. Jesus meets her at a point of thirst. He sees all the garbage in her life, sees all the brokenness, sees the pain, sees the neediness, looks on her with love and offers her living water. Jesus met me at my point of thirst. He saw all the bad bits, saw the selfishness, saw the pride, called me to follow him, offers me living water, boundedly repent. Jesus met many of you that way as well. He's alive. Blessed are you. Blessed is Nigel when I can believe without having to see through his word and by his spirit. The miracle that we're here today. I couldn't help myself. I wanted to read two verses from this because I just love it so much. Verse 25, near the end of this uh, discussion that Jesus is having with her, the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Her view of the Messiah is kind of maybe a political idea. Big picture, Jesus is going to come. Messiah's going to come. He's going to do this and he's going to do that and he's going to restore different things. And then Jesus, in the next verse, Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Jesus comes to her. Jesus didn't just come to restore all things. He came to restore her. He spoke to her. He came to restore me. He knows me personally. He loves me. And that's my testimony. That's your testimony if you know the Lord. Blessed are we that he has come to us. Jesus' words in John 14. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while in the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. We'll read that again. I will not leave you as orphans. That's why I've been blessed that he's not here physically. If he was here on his earth physically, he might be in New York today. I want to see Jesus. He comes to us by spirit. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I will come to Brian. Yeah. I'll come to Karen. Come to Chris, Christine. You come to us. Yet a little while the world will see me no more, but you will see me. The world looks at us and says, you're joking. You're crazy. You should experience the living God. It's just magnificent. Blessed are we, though we do not see Jesus with our eyes, we have his living word and his spirit with us. And we have come to the same place as Thomas's confession. My Lord and my God, you are supreme in authority. You are over all. 
Mm. I was thinking through uh, what is the application for today, it's something to take home, I suppose. And the first thing I wanted to say is a couple of things. The first thing is really the celebration that just even now, even right now as we're here, not later on today, although it's good to do that then too, but even right now, just to close our eyes for a moment, close your eyes if you, if you want to, you don't have to, but just to think about the Lord. And I just want you to give thanks in your heart that he has come to you. I'm going to give you about a minute just to give thanks in your heart that your Lord and Saviour has made himself known to you. we thank you that we each get your undivided attention you hear our prayers you wash us clean forgive us of our sins you come to us Lord we thank you for that in Jesus name Amen the second uh, thing to consider today I guess as an application is the idea of trust we live in troubled times and we each face struggles and difficulties. Uh, it really ministered to me. I struggled with anxiety and it's hard getting up here to preach. And so I'm writing this stuff down about trusting and thinking, oh mate, I've got to listen to that stuff too. <laughs> but I really wanted to encourage you guys about just leaning on him in our troubled days, in your individual difficulties that you face. And I wrote this little thing down. He who has defeated death is over all things, is still in control, is unfolding his plan, and has you, if you're a believer, in the palm of his hand. He who has defeated death what can't he do? He hasn't lost control of this world. He's unfolding his plan. In the raging battle, in the storm, in the buffetings, in the valley, profound trust. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you're here with us today through your word and by your spirit. Father, I pray that you'll bring our hearts back to that place of complete trust and rest in you and celebration in Jesus' name. Amen.